Welcome to the Certified OCS Prep Podcast. I'm Alexis. And I'm Amanda. And we're here to help you prepare for your OCS test. Okay, so today we are going to move away from the CPGs for a little while here, and we are going to just cover some other topics um, that we think are really important to know for the OCS. So today we're going to be talking about upper extremity nerve entrapments. Um, I think, and Amanda, I think you would agree that we need to know these very well for the OCS. Yes, absolutely. I I think you're going to see a lot of questions potentially come up about like differential diagnosis. Mm-hmm. of these you know is it a proximal involvement a distal involvement that kind of a thing yeah and I think you know the nice thing about studying this for the test at least for me was I feel like this is an area where you know obviously I was aware of all these things but really kind of breaking it down and reviewing all the different types of nerve entrapments is really helpful clinically too because we get so many of those patients and I think um, you know this is something that I see a lot where they'll have a diagnosis of you know radicular or, you know, cervical radiculopathy or whatever, and you screen the cervical spine and it's not coming from there. They're telling you they only feel it from their elbow down or whatever. So this is a really important area of differential diagnosis uh, for us, because I think sometimes they get seen very quickly by a doctor and it's a quick diagnosis and their neck really isn't even involved. Or what I typically see is there is some neck involvement, but there's also entrapment further down the chain. I don't know if you also have that experience. I would agree 100% with that. I'd say that's most often how I see these present. Um, But I was going to kind of piggyback on what Alexis said in the sense that I think these are very commonly misdiagnostically. You know, no one fault to that. But like Alexis said, everybody's seen so quick, you know, in the doctor's office, they don't lay them down or in urgent care, they don't lay them down and go through the appropriate testing and stuff. It's more based on subjective report. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think studying these for the OCS helped me gain a better appreciation for them. You know, in school, they're covered, but they're not covered to the same extent that you need to know them. Um, And I've really, I've realized how many times since I've passed my OCS, I've seen something like this in the clinic. And it's really been kind of enlightening to realize that. But also at the same time, I'm like, wow, I probably missed a lot of these the first couple of years Mm -hmm. I was out of school before I had really a good handle on them. Yeah, absolutely. So So my personal recommendation and how I studied these, um, I made a flow chart of the different um, nerve entrapments. And I think I actually used, um, and we'll link it in the show notes, the uh, MedBridge has a really nice um, lesson on the upper extremity nerve entrapments. So that'll be linked in the show notes. You can go straight there. Um, I think I used something off of there to kind of make my flow chart. And um, you can also do flashcards to review these. So whatever works best for you. But I do think repetition on studying these different entrapments is key. I don't know if you have something to add to that at all. Yeah, I definitely did the MedBridge section on this because it was an area I was really unfamiliar with. And reading it in current concepts just felt really bulky to me. Mm -hmm. So I did the MedBridge section on this. And then I did flashcards um, just so I could take them anywhere. But I needed a lot of repetition on this because it was an area I just wasn't as familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So, you know, those that's kind of our two cents. If you're not a chart or flashcard person, then I'm sure there's another way to learn these. But I agree. I think they're bulky in the current concepts. And I think if you can really break it down and get to know um, each one and just continue to study them over and over again, you'll be in a lot better shape for the test. Um, So without further ado, we'll kind of get into the different nerve entrapments. So we're going to talk about these. 
in terms of like median nerve entrapments and then radial nerve entrapments and then ulnar. And they also talk about regional entrapments. So I'm going to kind of read each one that we're going to go through and then we'll go through, um, I'll kind of go through my flow chart with you guys and, and we can talk about each one. So the median nerve entrapments, there's three that you're going to want to know. There's pronator Terry syndrome, anterior interosseous syndrome, and carpal tunnel syndrome. For radial nerve entrapments, you've got radial tunnel syndrome, posterior interosseous syndrome, and Wartenberg syndrome. For ulnar nerve entrapments, we've got cubital tunnel syndrome and Guyon's canal syndrome. And then the regional entrapment they talk about is thoracic outlet syndrome, which I'm sure we've all seen some of that. Um, so we are going to go ahead and go through the median nerve entrapments first. So how I have these broken down in my chart is we've got um, the nerve that's involved, the entrapment site, history and symptoms. So we'll talk about what you might see specifically with that entrapment, symptom reproduction, muscle weakness, sensory loss, the special test that you can do, and then the differential diagnosis for that specific entrapment. So the first one is the pronator Terry syndrome. So like I mentioned before, that's the median nerve. Um, nerve root C5 to C8. The entrapment site is between the two heads of the pronator teres, which should be pretty easy to remember, pronator teres syndrome. So that um, nerve is trapped right between the two heads. The history and symptoms. So what you'll see with this is insidious onset to, to the radial side of the palm. They'll have heaviness in their forearm. Their symptoms will increase with activity and they'll have minimal nocturnal symptoms. Uh, symptom reproduction for this one, resisted forearm pronation and elbow flexion. Active compression, so they're talking about kind of compressing at the, the pronator teres, and palpation. So if you're pushing on that muscle, you should feel they might have some symptom reproduction. The muscle weakness you'll see is obviously along the median nerve distribution. Now the pronator teres may be spared depending on the location of the entrapment. So if it's kind of in that distal part of the muscle where it's trapped, that you may not get that muscle weakness in the pronator teres. So that's something to be mindful of with this uh, specific diagnosis. The sensory loss you'll see is paresthesia in the thumb, index, and long finger. Special tests include the pronator teres syndrome test, Tonell's sign, an upper limb tension test A, which is that median nerve tension test. Your differential diagnoses for these are carpal tunnel syndrome, proximal entrapment of the median nerve at the ligament of Struthers. So those are the two that you're gonna wanna rule out. Um, do you have anything specific you wanted to note on this um, entrapment, Amanda? No, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I will say sometimes this kind of history and symptoms, I tend to see it in a lot of people who do a lot of like manipulation or uh, like manual labor if they're mm -hmm. using a lot of power tools or something you know what I mean yeah. it tends to be any kind of repeated pronation supination type work sure so the next one we're going to talk about is anterior interosseous syndrome so the nerve involved here is the anterior interosseous branch of the median nerve so that one's pretty specific um it the entrapment site is between the two heads of the pronator teres just below the pronator teres near the flexor muscle groups so that's going to be a little more distal probably than your pronator teres syndrome. The history and symptoms include symptoms, um, or I'm sorry, that it's sometimes sudden severe forearm pain resolving in hours. Um, so this would be kind of a, you know, 
comes out of nowhere kind of thing and it's pretty severe initially. Um, it can also be caused by trauma or external compression and they'll get a dull ache in the forearm. So symptom reproduction, uh, resisted IP thumb flexion and resisted distal IP flexion of the index finger. Muscle weakness for this is gonna include flexor pollicis longus, pronator quadratus, and the lateral half of flexor digitorum um, profundus. So we've got a few different um, muscles that you're gonna see some weakness in there. Now, what sort of sets the anterior interosseous syndrome apart from the other median nerve entrapments is you're actually gonna have no sensory loss with this. So I think that's really important to make sure you know that differentiation. Um, that's kind of a key in if you um, are looking at a question on, you know, and there's no sensory loss and, and you're thinking median nerve, it's probably that anterior interosseous syndrome. Uh, the special test you're gonna use, the pinch grip test or the okay sign and differential diagnosis um, is a flexor pollicis longus rupture. So that's something to kind of look out for with that. So the next one is carpal tunnel syndrome. And there is a newer CPG on carpal tunnel syndrome as well. We might touch on that at some point, but that one, when did that come out, Amanda? Was that 2018 or was that this it, year? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember exactly when it came out, but it's very new. It's been not, I want to say maybe halfway through 2018. Yeah. I was going to say, it's, I don't it's not think been more than a year. I think it came out like while I was studying or right after I took the okay. test. I'm not sure. So, um, Sure. So obviously you want to know carpal tunnel syndrome very well. And, you know, it would probably be super helpful to read that CPG um, because I'm sure, uh -huh. you know, it would give you some key into some things, but what we're going to talk about um, with this. So obviously nerve involved is the median nerve again. So C5 to C8 and T1. Uh, the entrapment site here is that transverse carpal ligament in the carpal tunnel history and symptoms. So you're going to see sensory loss on the Palmer side of digits one to three greater pain or paresthesia at night. So again, this is a differential diagnosis part here. When we talked about pronator Terry syndrome, there's minimal nocturnal symptoms. Whereas with carpal tunnel syndrome, you're gonna have that greater pain or paresthesia at night. So that's something to note. Uh, loss of dexterity. Sensory loss is often the initial symptom with car carpal tunnel syndrome. And in the advanced stage, you'll see that phenar atrophy. So if somebody has been dealing with this for a long time, you'll see, um, you know, that bulk of thumb muscles there are starting to atrophy. Uh, symptom reproduction includes prolonged wrist flexion and active compression of the carpal tunnel. Muscle weakness here, you're going to see opponent's pollicis, abductor pollicis brevis, and flexor pollicis brevis. Sensory loss includes paresthesia in the thumb, index, and long finger. Palm sensation uh, will stay intact because that's the palmar cutaneous branch. Uh, your special test for this, Phelan's, Tonell's, and that upper limb tension test A, which is that median nerve tension test. And your differential diagnosis, again, pronator Terry syndrome, obviously, you know, those two have a lot in common, but we talked about that. Uh, the nocturnal symptoms, uh, some of the different special tests are going to lead you to one versus the other. Uh, you're, you'll also want to rule out C7 radiculopathy with this. So, um, you know, I think a lot of times carpal tunnel, obviously, it's a more common diagnosis. I don't get to treat a lot of hands. I've always worked with hand therapists. Um, but this is something that I think often goes hand in hand with other things. And it's just an area where if, if you're seeing somebody and they're complaining of these things, again, if they've got cervical radiculopathy as their diagnosis, you can really take a look and see, well, maybe there's a little bit of entrapment at that carpal tunnel as well. So, yeah. anything I, I think add? one thing to be 
I think one thing to be aware of is I think the management of carpal tunnel is starting to change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of patients that tell me, oh, I had carpal tunnel surgery 20 years ago and it came back. I think that's becoming more and more common. I think that surgery is happening less and less. Mm-hmm. I can't see I treat a ton of hands, but it's also out of the median nerve entrapments. I think that's probably the one that's the most commonly misdiagnosed or patient self-diagnosed. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. think any kind of numbness oh, in yeah. the forearm or the wrist or hand is carpal tunnel syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so just a lot of patient education with that one you know, make sure you understand the management of it. I know it's gone over in that newer CPG. I know it's gone over in the current concepts book. Um, Just make sure you're aware of that and educating the patients because that's probably the one that's most misdiagnosed or self-diagnosed. Oh, for sure. I mean, I've never heard somebody come in and say, I think I have pronator Terry syndrome, but I I just think, you know, carpal tunnel syndrome is something that everybody's kind of aware of. And if they work at a desk or, you know, breastfeeding moms, that's a big one. Um, a lot of times they'll just assume it's carpal tunnel. So making sure that, you know, you're educating and, and really differentially diagnosing these people is definitely important. So good. Um, all right. So we're going to move on to the radial nerve. So again, there's three different syndromes here that we're going to talk about. So the first is radial tunnel syndrome, and this includes, um, C5 to C8 and T1. The entrapment site is the entrance to the radial tunnel anterior to the radial head at the arcade of Frost. What you're going to see here is um, pain over the lateral humeral epicondyle, poorly localized pain over the lateral aspect of the elbow and forearm, and a sub- subtle decreased grip. So, you know, you're going to want to compare side to side, and they'll be a little bit weaker on that side. Uh, Symptom reproduction includes passive elbow extension, forearm pronation with wrist flexion, resisted supination and elbow extension, and dynamic compression syndrome is what it says. So um, muscle weakness you're going to see here is um, actually not consistent. So there's no typical pattern. It's just kind of that gross overall decreased grip strength. And the symptoms occur during dynamic compression. So obviously when you're gripping you're kind of compressing that nerve. Um, so you're going to see a little bit of weakness with that. The numbness you're going to see is just in the radial distribution. So kind of a little vague on that one. Um, special tests include middle finger extension, compression over the radial tunnel and wrist extension and differential diagnosis here, obviously lateral epicondylalgia, like this sounds a lot like that. Um, so you want to make sure that you're differentially diagnosing that. Um, and also, um, we're going to look at posterior interosseous syndrome as a possible differential diagnosis here. So that's the next one we're going to talk about, posterior interosseous syndrome. So this is um, the nerve involved is the posterior interosseous nerve, the distal portion of the radial nerve. Again, you're going to see entrapment at the arcade of Frost. Um, the posterior interosseous nerve passes through the supinator muscle, so it can get entrapped there. Um, history and symptoms. So increased use of supinator muscles. So again, this kind of goes back to that, Amanda, how you mentioned the, you know, use of Mm -hmm. different tools and kind of turning that. So if you're using a lot of that supinator muscle, um, you can get that nerve entrapment there. Difficulty extending the thumb or fingers at the MCP joint and forearm tenderness distal to the arcade of Frost. Symptom reproduction includes active supination from a pronated position and passive forearm pronation. Again, there's not typical muscle weakness unless if this is chronic. So if this has been going on for a while, you might get some muscle weakness, but um, typically you're not going to see a lot of that. 
And again, here's a good way to know if it's posterior osseous syndrome is there's going to be no sensory loss. So that's a, a good differential diagnosis point. Um, special tests include index finger extension with the rested hand palm down on the table. So you'll have them kind of lit, you know, lay their hand down, lift that index finger and see if that's weak. And your differential diagnosis here again is lateral epicondylalgia. The next one is Wartenberg syndrome. So the nerve involved here is the superficial radial nerve. The entrapment site is going to be at the brachioradialis and the extensor carpi radialis longus tendons during forearm pronation. History and symptoms include pain over the distal forearm associated with paresthesias over the dorsal radial hand. And this often comes from possible trauma. So they talk about handcuffs, wristbands, um, or a fracture. Symptom reproduction includes repetitive wrist flexion and ulnar deviation. Again, we're going to see no motor weakness with this, um, but the sensory loss will be the dorsal radial hand. Special tests include tenels over the distal radial head and prolonged wrist flexion, ulnar deviation, and pronation. Your differential diagnosis here is your posterior interosseous syndrome um, and your decurvain tenosynovitis. So do you have anything you want to add, any of these radial nerve entrapments? Not necessarily. I think a lot of these don't necessarily have a real specific mechanism of injury. So I think yeah. just making sure, kind of true with all of these, that you're really listening to your subjective history, you know, asking about their daily activities. Do they do something repetitive? Mm -hmm. um, another profession that I think you just need to be hyper aware of these kinds of things in is like hairdressers. Mm -hmm. They often, mm -hmm. they perform a lot of repetitive motion at the wrist and arm all right. day long. And they'll yeah. come in with shoulder pain. And then if you ask a little bit more, they're like, well, yeah, sometimes my elbow or wrist bothers me or something like that. So mm -hmm. I think just being hyper aware of your subjective report and picking up on any repeated movement patterns can really guide you towards really screening for one of these nerve entrapments. Yep. I agree. All right. So the last thing we're going to talk about, we're going to get into the ulnar nerve and regional entrapment. So <clears throat> for the ulnar nerve, the first one we're going to talk about is cubital tunnel syndrome. So we're talking about nerve roots C7 to 8 and T1. The entrapment site is going to be the cubital tunnel and between the two heads of the flexor carpi ulnaris. Your history and symptoms with this, pain in the fourth and fifth digits, difficulty with your activities of daily living that require elbow flexion, and sensory is often the initial symptom. So um, I know, and I feel like probably everybody has felt this at some point, when you have your elbow flexed too long, you're in one position for too long, you'll start to feel that kind of numbness and tingling in your um fourth and fifth digits. So that's going to be your first sign that this nerve is getting entrapped in that cubital tunnel. Um, so symptom reproduction, again, elbow flexion. Muscle weakness is going to be atrophy or weakness of the ulnar intrinsics. And this happens pretty late after you've had this for a while. Sensory loss, again, alter, ulnar distribution numbness. Your special tests are Wartenberg sign, elbow flexion test, Tunnel sign, and Froment sign. And your differential diagnosis for this is medial epicondylalgia and Guyon tunnel, tunnel compression. So the next one that we're going to talk about here is that Guyon's canal syndrome. Again, ulnar nerve C7 to 8 and T1. The entrapment site is in Guyon's canal between the hook of the hamate and the transverse carpal ligament. Your history and symptoms here, um, paresthesias in the fourth and fifth digits, history of heavy gripping, twisting, or repeated wrist motions, and activities involving constant pressure. So one of the um, 
examples of this that I think they talked about in the MedBridge program was bicycling. So um, your folks that kind of lean on those hands um, while they're cycling will sometimes get this um, Guyon's Canal syndrome. Symptom reproduction includes prolonged wrist flexion and ulnar deviation. And you're going to see muscle weakness in your hypothenar muscles and the ulnar, ulnar interosseae and the adductor policies. Sensory loss is on the palmar side of the fourth and fifth digits. Special tests include Froman sign, Tunnel sign at Guyon's Canal, and upper limb tension test, um, the ulnar upper limb tension test. Differential diagnosis includes cubital tunnel syndrome and cervical ridic radiculopathy. So those are the two that you want to know for the ulnar nerve. Do you have anything you wanted to add specifically to those? No, I don't think so. I think those ones are fairly straightforward. Yeah. So just knowing like the little things that sort of differentiate those two, because um, if you're talking mm -hmm. about those fourth and fifth digits, you can narrow it down pretty quickly, but then you want to um, make sure that you know the difference between the two. Sure. Um, so the last thing that we're going to talk about is thoracic outlet syndrome. So the nerve involved here, we're talking about the inferior trunk of the brachial plexus, so C8 to T1. And oftentimes the ulnar nerve is more involved with this than the median nerve. So the entrapment site for thoracic outlet syndrome include the anterior scalenes, the cervical or upper ribs, pec minor, and subclavian. The history and symptoms you're going to see heaviness and tiredness to the upper extremity, especially with arm elevation, nocturnal symptoms. So this is going to be more bothersome at night. Um, and also some arterial and venous compression, so white hand swelling and fatigue. And I think, you know, this is the only one that they talk about. And obviously, I feel like, I don't know, we studied thoracic outlet syndrome pretty specifically in school. I imagine most people do. Yes. Um, so you become really familiar with those tests and kind of knowing, okay, we're, we might have this nerve involvement, but there might also be, you know, venous and arterial involvement as well. So making sure that you're you know, if you see those things, then that gives you a pretty good clue in that it's probably thoracic outlet syndrome. Um, so symptom reproduction yes. includes overhead activities and posture and head position, muscle weakness, median and ulnar distribution weakness. Sensory loss includes C8 to T1 distribution and ulnar nerve distribution. And so then they talk about the special tests. So Adson's and Halstead, Ruse test and costoclavicular test. So your differential diagnosis for thoracic outlet syndrome, um, and I would definitely know these really well. So pancose tumor, distal peripheral neuropathy, and cervical radiculopathy. So I think because it does involve so many different areas and muscles and whatever, like this is definitely something with all your neck patients you should be looking for anyhow, um, just to see. And again, a lot of times I see that there's cervical involvement, but they also have entrapment further down under their pec or, um, you know, between the scalenes. Cause if you've got, you have to think if you've got, you know, something going on at your neck, you probably have some hypertrophy and some of those other muscles in that area and a lot of tension and guarding. And so you can get a lot of, um, entrapment, you know, just a little further down in those scalenes or upper ribs, pec minor, that sort of thing. So anything else you want to add? Well, there? no, I yeah, I say one note on Panko's tumors. Um, that's something I wasn't terribly familiar with specifically until I studied for my OCS mm -hmm. exam. Um, this is where your general medical screening comes in. You know, in the CPGs, we talked a lot about, is this patient appropriate for PT? Are we going to treat them? Are they a treat and refer case or do they really need to be referred out? Panko's tumors are a tumor that grow on like the upper lobe of the lung. 
Mm-hmm. And they're often in people that have already had a history of cancer. Not always, but a lot of times. So that's where if someone's coming in with these kind of complaints um, and you're not able to change them or create any difference and they have a history of cancer and they're over 50, you know, that's where your medical screening knowledge really comes into play. I will tell you, panko's tumors most often occur in an ulnar nerve distribution first because it's going to hit those lower nerve roots sooner than the upper nerve roots. So that's one I'd maybe throw on your differential diagnosis list for any kind of ulnar nerve entrapment also. Mm-hmm. Um, just something to be aware of. No, yeah, I think that's super helpful. Um, I agree. It wasn't something that I was super aware of before studying either. So I think that's great to kind of note that. Um, anything else you want to add in terms of just overall with these nerve entrapments? I don't think so. I think like we've said before, you know, really finding a way to get the repetition in for yourself Mm -hmm. with these, whether it's using an app that does flashcards, writing yourself flashcards, making yourself a flow sheet that you stick in your bag that you, you know, study, listen to this podcast three or four times, you know, whatever you need in terms of repetition. But I think that's compared to some of the other more global concepts of like low back pain, Mm -hmm. like these are pretty hard and fast. Mm -hmm. So you really need to know them in terms of differential diagnosis. Right. I agree. And, and like I said, as we went throughout, make sure you look for those little things like, okay, this one's more at night. This one's not, this one is more, um, you know, this one has sensory loss. This one doesn't. Cause those little things are going to really key you in when you're stuck between the two on your test. So, right. And I think like Alexis just said, the motor versus the sensory is going to be mm-hmm. one of the biggest tip offs for you when you're looking at case studies. Yep. Yep. Okay. So from here, we are going to transition to kind of more global concepts. So we went through all the CPGs. Um, you know, we wanted to talk about these nerve entrapments because I think they're really important. Um, but the next thing we're going to do is we're going to be breaking down kind of different sections of current concepts, but also bringing in some other information. Um, for different shoulder diagnoses. So we'll kind of be working through some different areas there. Um, As always, if you guys have questions, you can send us an email. And as I mentioned earlier, I will link the um, MedBridge link to their peripheral nerve entrapment um, course in the show notes. Sounds good. All right, thank you very much.